Welcome to the Introvertpreneur Podcast. Take a breath because you are in the right place and you can finally stop apologizing for being an introvert. I'm Tara and I've discovered how to thrive as an entrepreneur while being 100% true to myself. Now I want to help you do the same. In these episodes, you're going to find everything you need to build a successful service-based business so you can stop competing with extroverts and grow and market your business with ease. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. I am so excited for today's guest who is joining us. Dr. Rosie Kuhn is a principal of a coaching group, which is a boutique coaching firm focusing on personal and spiritual development in oneself, in relationships, and in the workplace. She is also the author of 13 books, including Self-Empowerment 101 and I've Arrived, Well, Sort Of. She has been training individuals to become transformational coaches since 2001. She's got a number of podcasts. She's on YouTube, and I know she's going to have so much valuable information to share with you guys. So welcome. I'm excited you are here. Thank you, Tara. Great to be here. It's lots of fun. I would love for you to start and tell us your story, how you got started, your background, because I know everyone loves to hear that. I've got almost seven decades under me right now. So that's a lot of life to share. But I started out as the sixth child in a family of nine outside Detroit. It was a good start for a um, introvert in a sense, pretty invisible, pretty insignificant in terms of the family dynamics. So learning to figure out who I was inside this crazy family was the, the beginning of that journey. I got married very early, which was not a good thing, but that's what I did. I was married for about six years. I had two children and then realized this was just not the right path for me with this particular individual. And so I started on a different path. That's when I began the training as a marriage and family therapist. And it happened to be with a group. I was in, um, even though I was born in Detroit, uh, it was the United States. I lived in Canada for about 20 years. I found this program, Interfaith Pastoral Counseling Center. So my training was in family therapy, but from a perspective of pastoral counseling. So no talk at that point about dysfunction and disorders. It was really about being human, the humanness and the spiritual elements and the ch- challenges that we had. And it was a wonderful introduction to, to how to work with people in a very conscious, compassionate way. So I became a marriage and family therapist, worked in Nova Scotia for about eight years in the field of recovery, which Again, it was another invitation and introduction to a spiritual process in terms of 12-step programs are all a spiritually based process, but from a, a process of pragmatics, if you will, of how do you be in the world and still hold spiritual principles. So I learned a lot from my clients. That was where I started, in a sense, my real training in working with people and got really clear about the importance of addressing who we are as spiritual beings in this human experience, because it's where we get lost quite often. It's where we get afraid and we close doors and don't open up to who we really are. So I did that for eight years. And then I went sailing for two years and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean on a 93-foot schooner with five other people. And so sailed for two years. And then when that was over, because the relationship with the fellow who owned the boat wasn't good, 
Then I came back and it was like, okay, so what's next? And really wanted to address more. How do you address spirituality in everybody's life as a professional? Looked at uh, clinical psychology programs, but that was like totally in the other direction from what I was wanting. And I found a school in California called the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. It's now Sophia University. It's in the Bay Area. So I got my PhD there. I focused on spiritual direction, and that was really another introduction to more spiritually oriented process. Then I found coaching, life coaching, and I found that for me, it was this amazing integration place of what I had learned as a family therapist, as a spiritual guide. Coaching really takes people from here in this moment forward in their life. And so it was a great introduction of what I'd already learned and what I'd been already practicing And then now here's this new tool that's going to be really supportive. That was the beginning of all of that. So I finished my PhD when I was 51, I think. And I didn't start writing till I was 56. So I'm a late bloomer. Life unfolds as it does, as opposed to had no idea I was a writer, had no idea I had that capacity, had no idea I had that level of leadership in what I do, had no idea I was just going to be basically growing up and being a mom. That was what I had planned. So like you mentioned, my business is the Paradigm Shifts Coaching Group, and I work with people, individuals, groups, organizations, and I train people to be transformational coaches. So that's it. I've been a coach for about 20 years, which I think is pretty good (laughs) considering. That is amazing. And I absolutely love that you sailed for two years. That sounds like it would have been such a different adventure and really allow you to tap into like when I think of sailing, I feel like being free and being out on the water and not having to deal with all of the day-to-day tasks that we kind of get drawn into in the workplace and our lives. It feels like sometimes we're just moving through the motions kind of, and I feel like sailing would be such a adventure. In some ways it was, but in other ways it was a microcosm because you still have to eat. You still have to relate to the people on the boat. You still have to work together because working the boat is the organization, is the business and making sure the crew is fed, making sure that the boat's not going to sink. And if there's personal challenges, which there always are because we're all personalities, then it's wherever you go, there you are, as they say. And the moments on the boat where you're in that state of oneness, um, it's pretty remarkable. I actually ended up doing my dissertation on sailing as a transformational experience because of my own experience on the water in terms of having a transformational experience. But in terms of what I saw, and I also taught sailing while I was doing my PhD, the people that I was teaching, they all had experiences of oneness with the boat or the the weather or whatever that was, they were having these experiences that were life-changing. So that was all part of my dissertation. That's incredible. I'd I'd love to hear too about becoming an author and writing your books. What was the inspiration for writing your first book? The inspiration for that was that I've been training people to be transformational coaches, but I didn't necessarily have a manual yet. So I wanted to create the manual. So I started writing the manual and it was uh, very, very challenging because what came up constantly was images. So I've been living alone a lot of my life when I was with a partner, my, my most recent partner, 
he lived down in the Bay Area and I was living up here on Orcas Island. So I had a lot of alone time. But when I started writing, I would imagine, not intentionally imagine, but this image of my family and all of these people who were judge and jury of me would say, who do you think you are writing a book? You're a nobody. And that was a theme in our family that was spoken and unspoken was that we were nobodies. So for me to keep going forward with my intention to write this manual for people, regardless of what this image in my mind was of these people who would say, you know, who are you? Like, you don't know anything, that kind of thing. Even though I had three master's degrees and a PhD, right? And there's this part of me that says, you don't know anything. You don't have any right to write a book. So that was the inspiration. And it was going to be a a longer book, but it was like my inspiration comes from the divine, if you will. I'm constantly inspired to write. So hence the 13 books. It's an inspiration and it's a download more than anything as I listen and I hear. But what what I'm hearing and listening is also an integration of, of a knowing. I love that because that's something that I always wanted to get into is writing books. Even when I was younger, that was going to be my future was being a writer. And then I had an experience in high school English class that totally ruined my confidence around writing from a teacher that was not helping young people. But that's something that I'm really interested in still. I love reading and I love writing. So I just, I love hearing your inspiration for that and how you got started because 13 books is incredible. (laughs) I had a C minus average in high school. I had to take remediary English when I went to college because my skills were so poor in grammar. And so for me to even consider writing a book was a pretty big deal. My writing actually started to blossom when I was writing about my sailing. And I had a transformational experience on the water and I would write about that. And people go, wow, you're a really good writer. And I go, eh, it's just the story. It's the story. So that was the beginning of writing. And that's like I said, when I was doing my dissertation, so maybe 50 years old is when I started getting that sort of support. So like I said, you know, C minus, and even in college, it was a C minus. So it's not like I started out with a A plus average and continued I barely got into college and then I barely got through college. Then once I found my calling in terms of therapy and this whole unfolding of this, then I started to blossom and I was close to 30 when that happened. So if you're inspired to write, listen to the inspiration and just start writing when you're inspired. And for me, it has nothing to do with your abilities other than to express yourself, your essential nature. That's what people want to read is you, right? That's a good way to put it. I always felt like writing was the way that I could express myself, like how some people are really artistic and they love art. I was never really good at art. I feel like I'm a creative person, but art and drawing and painting, like that was never something that I could do. And both of my brothers were really amazing artists and I just didn't get that gene. So my passion and and creativity always flowed with writing. In our family, we have an artistic gene as well. And mine, again, didn't even blossom until I was 62. I started doing art and for the last five or six years, been really engaged in that in a way that really remarkable. So you never know because you can say, oh, I didn't get that gene. But until I got inspired to go, okay, I want to paint that. I want to see what that's like, that inspiration. Then you do it. So you're never too late. And if you're inspired to write, write. If you're inspired to paint, paint. That's, I think, part of 
uh, being an introvert is we have a lot of these processes, we'll say, or ways of expressing ourselves in the world that's through these things that are more solitary and singular, potentially. If we say, oh, I don't do that, and then we're missing the opportunity to go, oh, maybe I can, even if it's a paint by number or it's a coloring book for adults. It's like there's that desire to express that's what we need to do is exercise that muscle of I want to express me. And so you do that. It's not just about the business in a sense of being an entrepreneur, but that introvert element that you're addressing in your work needs to be nurtured. That's what I have found, especially in the later part of my life is, wow, look what's going on in terms of writing or look what's going on in terms of painting. These things are happening because I'm making space for it within myself. I think that's so powerful too, like when you're talking about expressing yourself and really doing it for you, not necessarily like writing a book and with the purpose of like selling it and putting it out there, using it as a creative outlet for you. And then the transformation will happen with that, whatever it is, whether it's art or writing. Yeah. If it's not for you, then you're going to be disappointed. Like I've written, as we know how many books I've written, and I've written probably close to 500 blogs and I've got 200 videos, right? So it sounds like I should be making a lot of money, but the fact is I'm not. But if I had put all my energy into making money from my books, then I'd be really disappointed because I make a little bit of money from them and that's fun. But I don't make a living from my books and I don't make a living from any of that stuff. Any of those things I do for fun. I've sold a couple of paintings. That's cool, right? I've sold a few books and that's cool. My royalties, I think this last year were like $200, $250 from all my books. So my point is, is that my writing isn't a significant contribution to my, to my, my, my prosperity, but it's high contribution to my well-being and the expression of my essential nature. And that to me is is a higher fulfillment than prosperity or wealth. And I'm learning how to live more into that potentiality of wealth, but from a spiritual perspective, to allow the full expression of myself was a big deal. And I think that that might be true for a lot of introverted people. It's like, how do you be in the world when you're so used to being in a clamshell? It's like, how do you do that? And so finding that expression of self, whatever that is for you, then that's what it is. I totally agree with that because I'm in the entrepreneur space a lot and I see so much that's, it's all about the dollars. People are talking about launches and I made this much and I just, that's not my main focus. My main focus is about serving and helping and unleashing my own creativity and doing things that bring me joy. So I, I love how you said that. The money does not make you happy. People have a lot of money, but they haven't dealt with who they are in the world issues yet. So they can't actually feel the fulfillment that could come through money. So when you don't have that fulfillment, then the money is just, and the material stuff is just empty pretty much. But if you don't have that sense of fulfillment and that what I call the essential nature, the fulfillment of an expression of your essential nature then you're going to miss the boat. You're going to miss the good stuff because every one of us is an extraordinary being and that extraordinariness wants to come into the world as an expression, even if it's through an introverted expression, if you know what I'm saying. We don't have to be extroverts to be the fullest expression of our essential nature. As introverts, we can express ourselves and be ourselves without being scared or fearful. Like there's a way to 
tap into your inner self and your joy and put it out there in the world. The biggest challenge is to find the balance. When I was a sailing instructor, teaching in front of people, I'm in my full expression. I love that. And when I was teaching on sailboat for weekends, say like eight hours a day, I was with people and I'd come home and I was like, that was my time to be with myself, just quiet time. So there's that balance between the two. I need that quiet time and I need that more so. But the way that I take care of myself, that's the most important thing where there's that balance between me in the world and then how I be with myself in a way that's nurturing and nourishing. I feel like balance is so important for almost anything, especially for introverts. We need to have that balance. And that's true for extroverts too. They don't have the balance, then they can get out of whack as well. I like the book and I forget what it's called, but it's a lot of pseudo extroverts. A lot of people who think we have to be extroverts in the world to be successful and fulfilled. It's just not true. We just have to be true to our own nature and be aware of that balance, especially if we're introverts and we're in families with either partners or children. It's work. That's a lot of balancing. It takes a lot of wisdom to discern, okay, what do I need here? Here's what my kids need here, what my partner needs here, here's what my work needs, but what do I need? Big balance. I love the quote that self-care isn't selfish because it's so necessary, especially for introverts. If you're struggling with balance, you need to ask yourself those questions internally and about what you need and then make space and time for it. The research in relation to breast cancer shows quite often that women who aren't taking care of their well-being, those are the ones that are getting breast cancer. That self-care piece is crucial to our health and well-being. That self-nurturing is a requirement if we're going to fulfill our desires to be a good mom or be a good partner, be a good whatever, is that self-fulfillment has to come first. It has to be the foundation of everything else. It's the life spring, if you will. Like you say, it's we think that selfishness, if, if I take care of myself first, that's selfishness. But it's not an arrogance and it's not from that place of entitlement. It's from that place of self-nourishment becomes the wellspring for your expression in the world, which we want to be love. We want to be happiness and fun and joy and creativity. But if you don't do it, basically you'll get sick, you know, either mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I feel like too, especially introverts and Definitely women. I feel like we are more caretakers (laughs) and just by nature, how we've been trained. And so taking time for ourselves is something that isn't natural to us. (laughs) It's not natural. And well, it is natural, but in a sense, when we look at what we've been trained to do and trained to be, we've in a a sense been domesticated to disregard our own self and self-deprecate. And self-deprecation is one of the main practices of people who get depressed is we self-deprecate. We miss ourselves. We disregard ourselves. We disrespect ourselves. We dishonor ourselves. We don't listen to ourselves. And that is a huge contribution to depression because it's like you start to numb yourself out. You're not allowed to feel. You're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to know what you know. You're not allowed to need what you need. You're not allowed to want what you want. And when we're in that state, we get very depressed because nobody's listening and I'm not listening. If I'm not listening to me, nobody else will basically. That's the challenge is how to go against. And it's so strange because you know, what you're saying or what so many people in the supportive, transformative, self-help work is like, you got to pay, pay attention to yourself, right? And nobody's listening. <laughs> Billions of dollars are spent 
on self-help materials, but a very small percentage of people are actually doing the work. That includes therapists and life coaches and psychologists and psychiatrists. We're not doing the work that really allows for the fulfillment of our human spirit to the full potentiality. And that's what you're about. You know, that's why you're making this. And, and that's what, what I'm seeing. And, and your work in the world is to bring about that fulfillment of the human spirit for individuals who just happen to be introverts. And that's definitely from experience. Like I've experienced burnout. I've pushed myself to be more extroverted, mostly in business, but also in personal settings. I've tried to continuously push myself to be somebody that I'm not. I have definitely prioritized everyone else above my own needs, like saying yes to something when I really don't feel like doing it or need or know that I was planning on taking some time for myself, but I didn't want to upset people. So I would always say yes and put myself out there. And then I would feel horrible about it because it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. So I've definitely gone through all of that. And I feel like I'm now at a place where I have more self-awareness. I know what I need when I need it. And I know to actually take the time for whatever it is. I'm more in tune to how I'm feeling. Like before with anxiety, I would just ignore it and just pretend it wasn't there. (laughs) And that's not the way to deal with any thoughts or feelings um, because eventually they're going to rise to the surface in a much more debilitating way than if you had just listened to yourself, what you need, the warning signs of how you're feeling in in the moment and changing things. And so many of us move into addictive patterns of substances or emotional addictions, like anxiety, and quite often is as a pattern of anxiousness that it gets triggered. Like that's where I go. If I get upset or if I have a feeling or a thought that I don't like, I can move into anxiety. We get comfortable with that or worry or guilt or shame. Those are patterns of addictions or addictive patterns that we go to when we feel restless, irritable, or discontented or whatever else. And we're not actually in the present moment in the experience we're having. So that's what I'm hearing you say. Like, okay, I'm starting to listen to myself, truly listen to myself and honor what I'm hearing in me as opposed to going, oh, no, you can't think that because my parents or my family or my whoever says something different or they need something from me. But what do I need? So what most of us disregard is our needs, our wants, our thoughts and our feelings. I love that question. Like, what do I need? That's so important to ask yourself anytime you're starting to feel anything or even just daily check in with yourself, ask yourself that question. What do I need today? And more importantly, it's what do I want? Because in essence, the need is usually more survival based, but what do I want is different. And it speaks to the whole person versus that ego part, perhaps, or the the little part of us. I have a, a magic wand that a friend of mine gave me. And so I use it a lot with clients and mostly in the beginning, in my first initial sessions, or if someone calls and says, hey, I, I want to get coached with you, I'll say, just think of me as your fairy godmother. Here's my magic wand. I have it in my hand right now. I'm shaking it. And I'll say, you have the power. I'm empowering you with my magic wand to create whatever it is that you really want in your life. And so the moment I say I'm your fairy godmother and here's my magic wand, they shift into delight because we all know that there's wonder and magic. We all know it. 
uh, in our heart. So when I say, okay, tell me what you want, and they go, oh, well, I'd really like to have a business where I can stay home and I can, and then there's this voice like, uh, I'm not actually allowed to tell you what I want, right? But when I say, okay, I mm-hmm. want you to think of me as your fairy godmother, something shifts and they go, wow, what I want is, you know, I want to serve people in this way. And here's what I, I want to do. And here's how much money I want to make. And I want to live in Hawaii. The energy shifts from this is what I need to, I want you to ask for what you want in the biggest, most amazing way, because we have the potential to create that. We are an essence of the universe. We're divine essence. We're divine universal being. And as part of the universe, we are full potentiality. So I want to give people that ability to articulate what they want. This is a very scary thing for people to say, here's what I want. Because usually what follows is, here's what I want, but I can't have it. So I say, what is it you want? And I will empower you to empower yourself to make it happen. I love that because so many people would probably be like, nobody has ever asked me that question. Or I've never even asked myself that question. So so I ask four questions in my coach training. There's thousands of different ways that you can ask the question and the different depths of the question. But four questions. Number one is, what do you want? Number two is, what's in the way of getting what you want or having what you want? Because everybody goes, yeah, here's what I want, but I can't do that. It's like, well, what's the obstacles? money, people, places, blah, blah, blah. It's like, we make those up. It's all interpretations. I can say that, but people go, oh no, it's my mother or it's the external world. So I marginalize. So it's, what do you want? Let's get really clear about what you want and excited and, you know, and passionate about what you want. Like, tell me what that's like to have what you want. And then what's in the way of having that? That's question number two. Number question number three is what needs to shift so that those obstacles go away? And 99% of it is, I need to shift the way that I see this. I need to shift the way that I'm interpreting my life and the people in it or the world. So when we shift the way that we see the world and to shift how we see ourselves, then magic happens. Things start to happen in a way that is really amazing. Then the fourth question is, what will you practice to make that shift happen? So it's like, I have to shift the way that I'm relating to business. One of my trainees was talking yesterday and She says, I don't want to work my ass off building a business. That's an interpretation she has of having a business. Is that really true? Is there a way of seeing this and shifting that belief? So it's not that. If you think being an entrepreneur is working your ass off, how likely are you to pursue (laughs) being an entrepreneur versus for me, being an entrepreneur allows me freedom, fun, and flexibility. I don't work my ass off. And that's a different interpretation. Here's how I want to see being an entrepreneur is I have the freedom, fun, and flexibility. And now I create from that place. So the practice is how do you, you shift from here's my interpretation of work or being an entrepreneur. And now what do I need to practice? Well, I need to practice and train myself to to notice when those thoughts are not in alignment with what I believe now is to be true. If I believe I can create a business in freedom, fun, and flexibility, then I need to keep training myself to be in that as opposed to be in anxious, worry, fear, which we're trained to be in. It's not normal if you don't feel anxious. It's like you don't have to feel that anxiety. You don't have to feel that fear. We're trained to think we need to feel that fear. We don't. Yoda says, train yourself to let go of 
what you're afraid to lose. Like, yeah, that's been a, a big motto of mine is uh, that train yourself. It's a lot of self-training. People don't want to work that hard. They want the life they want, but they don't want to work that hard. I'm just sitting here like nodding my head as you're talking. And I just had a flashback when you were talking about the question, what do you want? And then usually people follow it up with, but I can't because. And I remember probably seven, eight years ago, I used to say I can't so much in just normal conversations. And my husband used to always say to me, take that out of your vocabulary. Stop saying you can't do something. (laughs) And he used to say that to me so many times because I I never even realized it. I would just say for minuscule things, I would just say, oh, I can't. And just because that was trained in me that thinking that I didn't have the ability to do something and him saying that over and over again made me realize how often I actually was putting that out there in the universe. Like I can't do that. (laughs) And so I, I did remove that from my vocabulary as much as possible because it, it was a recurring thing for me to say, I can't. It's as much as it is telling the universe, it's telling yourself. There's something called ontology, which there's some field of coaching that's based on ontology, which is the language of being. Ontology is the science of the languaging of our being. So in a sense, we're languaging our being all the time. So you are languaging, I can't, is is a reinforcement of you being you as you can't for whatever reason. So it's, it's a way of languaging your perception of yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's so true. Because it's like sometimes I would even say I can't and there was no real reason behind thinking that I couldn't. It was just like, that was just my go-to because internally I thought that I couldn't do a lot of things. And the other big one that people use is I'm trying. If you're trying, there's something going on. It's not an authentic expression. It's like a, a, a level of inspiration. I mentioned I do YouTube videos and I'm having to make some videos this week and I'm trying, right? But the trying is based on strategy and manipulation. It's based on trying to get an outcome, trying to get something. It's not authentic and it doesn't work (laughs) for me. When I can come from an authentic place, it happens. There's no trying required. But we're so used to saying, if I can get away with saying I try, because that's what our consensus reality lets us do is as long as somebody says I'm trying, they can get away with not succeeding. In essence, I don't let people get away with that. It's like when they say, I'm trying, it's like, what are you trying? What are you trying to achieve by trying? That's a big one along with that, I can't. Once we start watching ourselves look at the language that we're using, it's really fun because you can go, wow, look at what they just said. So in terms of what I was saying, having to create these videos, I made these notes and this is what I'm going to do. And I'd have to throw the notes away because the notes are, for me, the way that I am trying to accomplish something as opposed to going, no, I just got to do what I always do, which is just be in the moment and be authentic with my message for today. And it's really letting go. I feel like for me using the word trying, and I never actually thought about this until you just said that every time I would use the word trying, it would be because I had a fear of failure. So if I said, yeah, I'm going to do that and I fail, then it's less 
scary and pressure on me. But if I say, oh, I'm trying, then it's like, yeah, if I fail, then that's okay. I still tried, but it's not really a great way to live in that place of fear of failure either. I use the word when I'm working with people. And and like I said, there's the four questions, you know, what do you want? What's in the way? What needs to shift? And what will you practice? Because practice, it's not like if I say, what will you try to do this week? A little bit different, isn't it? To say, well, what will you practice this week? So asking you that question, just in terms of the difference, what happens in you, Tara, as I say, what will you try to do this week? As opposed to what will you practice this week? What shifts in you between those two questions? If you're going to try to do something this week, what's the quality of being in that? Can you feel a difference between the two? Yeah, definitely. I feel like trying comes from a place of like, well, if I say I'm trying and it fails or it doesn't work out or I don't get it done, then no big deal because I tried. (laughs) And nobody can fault me. But if I say, so what will you practice this week? How does that land in your face over there? That feels a lot more welcoming and for myself, a lot less pressure and more authentic. I don't have to be in my head about things or in the strategy about it, I can just be and do what I feel. It's more empowering. You get to be a choice about that versus trying. Is it like you're relating to the external world in a sense that now you've got the fail element in there as opposed to practicing. If you're going to go practice the piano, you're just practicing new skills and there's no failure. You might not do it perfect, but that's okay because you're learning, you're practicing. Then if you aren't able to, then you go back to the I can't language. I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do this. So yeah, it it can totally change how you shift things. So that languaging is so important in how we look at ourselves and how we communicate with ourselves, basically, and the world. So that's when we're more clear about those I can't. Very different than, well, do you want to? And what are you willing to practice so that that actually happens? The languaging is so much more empowering than our normal language that we tend to use in our everyday life, which is fear-based. I can't is lack-based. I can't because I'm inadequate, insignificant, undeserving, unworthy, any or all of that. It's so powerful how just little tiny tweaks to the language just completely transforms the energy behind it. And it's very challenging. I've been doing this work as a coach for 20 years. And before that, I've been doing this kind of self-recovery, self-transforming, transformational work since I was 30. So that's almost 40 years. But it's only been in the last 20 years that I've really become more clear about the languaging, which is, and again, ontology is a very powerful tool in looking at the languaging and what diminishes energy and what empowers So the more that we can become aware of that in our languaging, the happier we'll be, the more fulfilled we'll be, and the more we can contribute to the well-being of other people at the same time. I could just talk to you forever. This is incredible. (laughs) But I would love for you to tell us about your transformational coaching training program. And for anyone who's interested, like who it would be perfect for, how it works, because I know some people are probably going to be interested in that, especially after listening to this episode and hopefully changing the way that they're thinking about themselves. So um, so first of all, my website, theparadigmshifts.com. And so there's a lot of information there about the coach training. And also there's a video series called Becoming a Transformational Coach. And I made two minute videos <laughs> to keep it as simple as possible. And I made it about 
eight years ago now, but it's still the same work that I do. I made about 36 different videos of my whole process. Here's what I do. The four questions are in there and all the rest of it. What I do is individual one-on-one training. I work with people who have a foundation in either they've already had the experience of working with people, whether they're therapists or coaches or human resource people or people that have had a lot of connections with people so that they have an ability already to communicate. And that's a really important start. And then because I want to build on what people already know and their experience already as a good listener and a person that really wants to empower people. So those things are really important to work with me on a one-to-one basis because I'm starting in essence from where you are moving forward. And so if you have coaching skills and or therapeutic skills, that's a really good, important thing. Starting from the beginning with people, there's a lot going on. I'd rather work with people who have the experience already and want to move forward with their careers or their practices. The other element of that is when I'm working one-to-one coaching, about 50% of it is personal coaching. So I'm coaching people at the same time that I'm training them so that they're learning from their own process, their own experience, what it's like to be coached. So it's a very immersed process, but is very rewarding because you're getting, it's like a two for, right? A two for one. You're getting coaching and you're getting the training at the same time. So they're getting the transformation and then they're also getting the tools and knowledge to go on out there and help other people with transformations. So we will definitely have a link to your website, your YouTube channel, your podcast. And for anyone who wants to look into your books or make a purchase there, because I know, is it your most recent book was Self-Empowerment 101? Self-Empowerment 101 was my first book. My most recent book is I've Arrived. I have a a lot of books that are the spiritual element of our life is so important, and yet it gets disregarded. So the work that I do is really about integrating our spirituality into our our everyday life. And so that's basically what that's about is the the spiritual. And it's not story-based. It's really about insights and hopefully inspirations that people can take with them that are hopefully inspiring and really speaks to our own uh, essence in our being and in this challenge of being a human being as a spiritual being. So yeah, Amazon is a great place and Barnes and Nobles has, I think they have most of my books as well. Yeah. People are definitely going to want to check those out because I know most introverts love books and (laughs) if you've connected with it, definitely connect with Rosie look into her books for more personal development, self-growth tips. Like I could just talk to you forever, Um, but I don't want this episode to go on too, too long. So I thank you so much for joining me. This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. And, And if at some point you'd love me to come back, I would love to come back. So thank you very much for this time. I'm truly honored that you brought me on. Of course, we'd love to have you in in any way because I know everyone's going to get so much value from everything you've shared. You've even given me a few little light bulb moments during this podcast episode. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. You can join me at introvertpreneur.com and at thetarareed.com, where you can find tons of blog posts and resources 
that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach, where I share more introvert-friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.